I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are David Crow, our banking editor, Stephen Morris, our European banking correspondent, and Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent. Down the line from New York, we have Laura Noonan, our US banking editor. This week, we'll be taking a look at the new chairman of Barclays Bank, who's up and who's down in the European banking stress tests, and finally, Goldman Sachs. Why is it in so much trouble lately? Firstly, though, to Barclays and David, I think you broke the news with at least 30 seconds lead time on the new chairman at Barclays the other day. This is Nigel Higgins, who currently runs the Rothschild investment banking business here in London. An unusual choice, a kind of relatively low profile character to parachute in to replace John McFarlane at Barclays. Tell us about your thinking on this. So there's been a sort of six-month process going on to try to find the successor to John McFarlane, run by Crawford Gillies, the senior independent director at Barclays. And it's been a pretty sort of tight process, really, kept under wraps. Some names were doing the rounds, but one of them was not Nigel Higgins. (laughs) He is sort of known in city circles, but not really a sort of household name, unlike some of the others that were sort of rumoured. And it's a big culture shock for him. He spent his entire life at Rothschild, quite an impenetrable organisation. Some suggestion that he may have stepped sideways recently to make way for a Rothschild scion. And so perhaps that's why he's looking to pastures new. And will he make a good chairman? And how different will he be from Mr McFarlane, do you think? Well, he's a very different chap to Mr McFarlane. He's certainly not a lover of the limelight. He indeed is very private person actually and may have to change a little bit because chairman of Barclays is a job that is in the limelight. The big question will be whether he backs the somewhat divisive strategy employed by the chief executive Jess Staley and how he handles the presence of an activist shareholder in Ed Bramson on the register. Yeah, absolutely. Some big challenges that he'll have to take on. And of course, we should say this isn't taking effect until the AGM of the bank next, what, April, is that? That's right. Very good. Well, we'll keep a close eye on that. Thank you, David. So let's move on to our second topic and a look at the results of the European bank stress tests. Caroline, you were closely involved in this story. Quite interesting results this time around, not least because they are kind of reflective of Brexit risk. I think that's right. The EBA, the European Banking Authority, which for now at least remains headquartered in London, said back in January that its stress scenario, its doomsday scenario that banks' balance sheets were going to have to be tested against would encompass risks that could be associated with a hard Brexit, a cliff-edge Brexit. And that included an average GDP across the EU, 8.3% smaller than it otherwise would have been but for Brexit. And therefore, perhaps no surprise that Lloyd's, RBS, Barclays were among the worst performers? Yes and no. I mean, I think what you have to take into account is that although there is 
a common scenario. It's based on GDP averages from the countries that are taking part. And so each country's banks then use their own national GDP to stress against. And in the case of the UK, the forecasts were much harsher than in the rest of the European Union. And so, yes, for that reason, we did see the British banks doing a lot worse, really, than their European counterparts. Stephen, let me bring you in here because you were also taking a close look at these results. What did you make of them? There weren't as many fireworks as in the two previous iterations of the test in 2014 and 2016. A whole gamut of European banks failed four years ago. And I think the industry on aggregate had to raise more than 100 billion of capital. And last year, the perennial problem child of Monte de Pachi had to unveil a 5 billion rescue package on the morning of the results. So we didn't get anything similar to that this time. But it was notable that the UK banks did a lot worse than expected. And Barclays was really the lowest among that. It had one of the biggest falls in its capital buffer to one of the lowest levels, you know, only about one percentage point above the unofficial hurdle rate. So it didn't look great for them, especially considering the background context of their activist investor who is convinced they're undercapitalized and overweight in investment banking. Yeah, absolutely. But as you say, officially this time, no pass or fail and no capital actions as a result of this. Is that the new model for stress tests? Well, I guess the importance banks have placed on this, you know, rebuilding their capital buffers and issuing lots of debt, maybe is a testament to the success of it. This is one of those wonderful tests that you can't actually fail. So you can just have to uh, get a bit of a slap on the wrist and take some corrective actions. One thing that was notable, though, is Everyone was focused on Deutsche Bank and the Italians going into this because of the idiosyncratic problems of Deutsche Bank's business model and the ongoing political and economic crisis in Italy. The scenario that played out was pretty accurate on what may happen in the event of a hard Brexit, but I don't think had sufficiently foreseen the problems in Italy. So I think maybe for the next version of the test, they'll get a bit tougher on that country's banking sector. I think that's always been the problem with these stress tests in particular, is that they trail reality by a significant degree. Yeah. Caroline, your final thoughts? Yeah. And just on the way that the stress test is designed, the other major difference with the EBA and then what the UK and the US do is that the EBA takes what's called a static balance sheet. So it's essentially a snapshot at the end of last year of a bank's balance sheet. And nothing that the bank will have done in the interim period, such as shore up its capital or a merger or acquisition or something like that, is taken into account. And I think that's another thing that the banks themselves find quite frustrating. The Bank of England's own stress tests, they're going to be published in a few weeks' time. And I think certainly for the UK's banks and certainly the analysts, I think those are the ones that really all eyes are on, particularly as there is a pass and fail in the Bank of England's tests. Very good. Well, I'm sure you'll be in the lock-in at the bank at 5am or whatever it is, Caroline. Always, with enjoyment, with a big smile on my face. look forward to that. Very good. Thank you. So finally, let's take a look at Goldman Sachs as it faces multiple challenges or certainly multiple changes. On the line, we have Laura Noonan, our US banking editor. So, Laura, the first issue that came about over the past few days is more fallout from the Malaysian 1MDB scandal, which has deepened, really, for the bank. Two former MDs are facing criminal charges. A top Asian investment banker is being placed on leave. This sounds pretty serious for the firm. 
I think however you look at it, this is pretty serious. What you have here is effectively two former Goldman Sachs managing directors who are now facing criminal charges in the US. In the case of one, Tim Leisner, who was one of their star investment bankers in APAC, he's actually pleaded guilty to conspiring to commit money laundering and to bribe foreign officials. And another former managing director in Southeast Asia, Roger Nigg, he's also been arrested on similar charges. So these are very serious charges. And the fact that Mr. Leisner has pleaded guilty as well and that they're both criminal charges certainly escalates things. I mean, certainly people I spoke to at the firm couldn't recall a time when someone similarly senior had been charged with these kind of financial crimes. In terms of what they're alleged to actually have done, it relates to Goldman Sachs' role in helping the State Investment Fund of Malaysia, 1MDB, to raise about $6.5 billion in debt, for which they received a fee of $600 million. Some of that money, a large portion of that money, was ultimately misappropriated, and there's been this kind of string of investigations into how that happened. So it's kind of one of the spin-off effects of that which Goldman Sachs has been drawn into because it was the one that actually underwrote the debt. In terms of what the DOJ, which is the one pursuing the case against the two former managing directors, is saying, I mean, they have fairly widespread criticisms about the culture of the Goldman Sachs in Southeast Asia. So they say that the business culture was highly focused on consummating deals, at times prioritising this goal ahead of the proper operation of its compliance function. That's a very serious criticism for the DOJ to level against a bank. I think people will be mindful of that. The other ricochet that comes off this as well is that there was... Another managing director referenced in the DOJ documents last week, they weren't referenced by name, they were only referenced by nationality, and they referred to the actions of an Italian managing director. And on the same day that that came out, Goldman Sachs placed Andrea Vella, who was formerly co-head of investment banking for Asia Pacific, excluding Japan, and more recently moved to a chairman role. So Andrea Vella was one of their most senior bankers in APAC and still is, and he was placed on leave as a consequence of this. So the fact that someone who was very active in the firm until quite recently is now being called into question over all this, I think that also makes people wonder how current the issues are. These are not historic cases. This is all very recent. I mean, Tim Leisler already left Goldman Sachs in 2016. These charges relate to fundraising in 2012, 2013. So this is pretty recent stuff as well. I think all of it does raise questions about the culture at the bank and the current culture at the bank. In terms of what the actual sanctions could be, that's all very unclear. So Goldman Sachs itself is still in talks with the DOJ about how the firm will be treated in terms of its role, if any, in what happened with 1MDB. And we don't know the outcome of that yet. What Goldman Sachs insiders will say privately is that the whole scandal has had a big impact on their business in both Malaysia and Singapore, but at this stage, those businesses have now become very small. And because the Asia-Pacific region is quite a differentiated one, it's a very fragmented one as well. They say clients elsewhere in Asia-Pacific are not overly concerned about this, so they say that it's not impacting their ability to win client business in places like China. So if you think about the business consequence of this, it seems to be not that extreme. If there were to be an adverse finding against Goldman Sachs as a firm as well, and if there were to be more of this language about how the firm operates and the shortcomings in it, I think that could affect perceptions of Goldman Sachs more widely. And of course, that's not the only reason why Goldman has been in the news. The new CFO, Stephen Scher, has been telling investors about a strategic review that they've just begun and are promising results from in the coming months. What exactly is happening? Yeah, so Stephen Chair, who was formerly head of Goldman Sachs' consumer bank, he only became CFO on Monday morning, and by 8.55, he was already in front of investors at Bank of America Merrill Lynch's financial conference, 
And what he told them was that he and the new chief executive, David Solomon, and the other people who have been promoted since Mr. Solomon took over in September, they are working on a strategic review, which we already knew a little bit about, but he gave a bit more detail about what they're looking at. And he also promised that there would be a strategic announcement in the spring. Now, we hadn't heard of a specific announcement before, and to be honest, Goldman had been giving mixed messages about the review before. So on their earnings call a few weeks back, they said that they were looking at all of their business lines, which sounded dramatic at one point, but then they also said that it was the kind of thing any business would typically do in the course of going about its business. Mr. Sher, in his comments this week, he was more emphatic that this was a regime change review. They were looking at everything in terms of the capital allocation, in terms of whether it was covering its expenses, and in terms of where the best revenue opportunities lay. Now, the obvious read across is that David Solomon, the new chief executive, he hails from an investment banking background. The chief executive he replaced, Lloyd Blank, fine hails from a trading background. And the trading business has been under pressure, particularly fixed income. The trading business is also very capital intensive. So the natural read across is that this could be a slash and burn in terms of fixed income. Mr. Sher tried to dissuade people from reading that into it. He stressed that this wasn't about cutbacks. It was about rebalancing. Now, that's very nuanced and I think most people's read is that there is going to be an element of cutbacks in that and they'll have to be sensitive in terms of how they manage the message. But I think the expectation is that this will allow the new management to kind of reset things a bit. And so far the tone has been very much that Mr Solomon's promotion to CEO will be about evolution and not revolution relative to what Mr Blankfein had done. Now I think we're seeing a slightly different tone and the ground is being laid more for a change in how Goldman Sachs does things and change in how the bank actually prioritises different divisions. So I think there will probably be quite a lot of expectation in the run-up to spring to see how this really all beds down. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank David, Stephen and Caroline here in the studio and Laura down the line from New York. Do take a look at our latest subscription offer if you're not already an FT subscriber. That's at ft.com slash offer. And remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.